In this series, we're unpacking our new vision and direction. Jesus sent his disciples into the world in the power of the Spirit and basically told them, go change the world. And they did. The world has never been the same. And the early church went into the world believing that the gospel is real and the gospel changes everything. They believed that Jesus died for our sins, that Jesus rose from the dead. It was something that actually happened, and it changed everything. The world has never been the same. And so those two convictions will be central to who we are and what we do. Every time we gather, every time we come in this room to worship, we will be reminded that the gospel is real and the gospel changes everything. And because the gospel is real and changes everything, there are eight directives that we will live by. And these eight directives will drive everything we do. Biblical obedience, spirit-led, safe haven, meeting Jesus, transformed lives, missional impact, future-focused, ever-expanding. We have eight directives and an octagon with eight walls. So we put each one of the directives on a wall in the octagon. And so when you go into the octagon after worship this morning, look up. Um, this morning, we're going to look at the directive of future focused. Future focused. We continually adapt to engage every generation. We are a church where every generation belongs, while at the same time leaning toward future generations. We continually adapt our methods so that the next generation can encounter the message of the gospel through the environment we foster, the community we build, the words we speak, and the way that we engage in vibrant worship. Uh, the passage this morning is Genesis 17, verses 1 to 8. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn there, uh, or you can look it up on your phones. Uh, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It's pretty easy to find. Um, Genesis 17 is an Abraham story. Uh, he's one of the patriarchs of the Israelites. Um, Abraham, when in his old age, had no children. And in his old age, God tells him, you're going to have children. And he eventually has a son through his wife's maidservant, Hagar, but that wasn't exactly God's plan. And so God comes to him again in Genesis 17 with a promise. Um, our scripture reader this morning is Esther Shetler. So Esther, if you can make your way on up to the podium, and as she does so, I'm going to ask all of you, if you're able, please stand and face the center of the room. We read from the center of the room to remind us that Scripture is to be central in our lives, and we stand because we believe this is the Word of God. And so, Esther, whenever you are ready, please read from Genesis 17, verses 1 to 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God 
and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Esther, thank you very much. You may be seated. You are never too old to do something amazing. At the age of 62, J.R.R. Tolkien published his first volume of his fantasy series, Lord of the Rings. At age 66, Noah Webster completed his monumental American Dictionary of the English Language. At age 71, Katsuzuki Yanagisawa, a retired Japanese schoolteacher, became the oldest person to climb Mount Everest. At the age of 72, Margaret Ringenberg flew around the world. At 82, William Ivy Baldwin became the oldest tightrope walker, crossing the South Boulder Canyon in Colorado on a 320-foot wire. At age 85, Theodore Mommsen became the oldest person to receive a Nobel Prize in literature. At age 88, Michelangelo created the architectural plans for the Church of Santa Maria degli Angeli. Between the ages of 88 and 90, Doris Haddock walked across the United States. At age 94, comedian George Burns performed at Schenectady, New York, 63 years after his first performance there. At age 95, Nola Oakes earned her bachelor's degree. At age 98, she earned her master's degree. At age 96, Harry Bernstein published his first book, The Invisible Wall, three years after he started writing to cope with loneliness after his wife of 70 years, Ruby, passed away. At age 97, Martin Miller was still working full-time as a lobbyist on behalf of benefits for seniors. And at age 100, Frank Shearer was the oldest active water skier in the world. There's a goal for you. When you turn 100, go water skiing. That's a great idea. You are never too old to do something amazing. Do you know what all these people had in common? They were all future-focused. They didn't look behind at what they had done. They looked ahead to what they could do. Future-focused. And when it comes to being future-focused, it's good to remember God is future-focused. God is future-focused. The first verse in this passage should really just kind of jump out at us. But oftentimes, we just kind of quickly read past it. But go back to verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Now, when I chat with people who are in their 70s, 80s, 90s. I really like getting them to talk about the past. You know, what was it like for you growing up? Tell me about that. Or how did you meet your spouse? Tell me about that. Or what did you do for a living? Or tell me what it was like seeing how the world has changed. I love having them recall the past. That is not what God does with Abram. God talks about the future. God comes to 99-year-old Abram and says, 
let's talk about what's next. There are some great things ahead for you. There are 11 times in this passage that God uses the word will. I will try to get them all here. If you just want to follow along with me, if you still have your phones there or your Bibles there, uh, verse 2, God says, then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Verse 4, um, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Verse 5, no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. Uh, verse 6, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. Verse 7, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant. Um, let's see, verse 8, the whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give us an everlasting possession to you and your descendants. I will be their God. God comes to a 99-year-old man and says, let's talk about the future. And God is always talking about the future. He tells Noah, hey, a flood will be coming. Go build an ark. He tells Moses, I will deliver my people out of Egypt. Go to Pharaoh. He tells Joshua, I will deliver Jericho to you. Now, go walk around it a couple times. He tells David, you will have a descendant who will rule forever. He told the Israelites, your Messiah will come. He tells Paul, the Apostle Paul, you will be my messenger to the Gentiles. Over and over and over again, God is pushing our focus to the future. God is future-focused. Now, being future-focused doesn't mean we ignore the past, but rather we build on it. Being future-focused builds on the past. There are two dangers when it comes to the past. Uh, we can either run from the past, like pretend things that happened didn't really happen and try to forget the past. That's one danger. The other danger is to live in the past. And when we live in the past, we fixate on what used to be. And when we fixate on what used to be, we get caught in one, or one of two reactions to it. The first reaction when we fixate on the past is we have regret. If we live in the past, we have regrets. Regrets about things we did, regrets about things we didn't do, wishing we could go back and change decisions we made. Um, you know how God deals with the bad things that we regret? You know what his strategy is? God's strategy for the bad things from our past is forgiveness. And there isn't a better strategy for our regrets than forgiveness. You're not going to go back and change, and you can't make up for it. God says, yes, you've done wrong in the past. The good news is, Jesus died for your sins. God forgives us for the sins of the past, for regrets. There isn't a better strategy for regrets than forgiveness. And so we just need to receive God's forgiveness and do the best we can to forgive others. 
And I'm not really sure which is harder, receiving forgiveness or giving forgiveness. But forgiveness is God's answer to regret. So sometimes we have regrets, and then sometimes we find ourselves reminiscing those great memories from the good old days, and we reminisce. And the danger in reminiscing is we can get trapped, again, in living in the past when we think that it would be better to go back rather than to go forward. As God was leading the Israelites into the promised land, it got hard for them. They were in the desert, and they started to reminisce about Egypt. Numbers 11, where it says, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. And also the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. God miraculously provided manna for them to eat in the desert, and they got sick of it, and they wanted something else. And so they wanted to go back to what they remembered. Hey, remember in Egypt? We had fish. It was free. And there was cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. Egypt was the best. Remember all the great food? Well, yeah, it was the place you were slaves. Do you remember that? <laughs> you see, when we reminisce, we fool ourselves. We only think of the good things of the past. And when we reminisce, we forget the bad things, trapped into thinking how great the past was. Um, when I was in middle school, my family moved to, from Wisconsin to Southern California. And the circumstances around the move uh, weren't the best. And I'm not going to go into the details of that. It was simply a hard time. And in California, all I wanted to do was go back to Wisconsin. Go back to what I considered home. And I did a lot of reminiscing. Now, I somehow convinced my parents to let me go back to Wisconsin for my junior year of high school. So three years after we moved to California, I moved back to Wisconsin for my junior year of high school. I lived with my older sister who had already moved back, and I was thrilled to go back to school with my old friends. And then at the end of my junior year, I got elected class president for senior year, which means I got to con my parents into going back and staying or staying in Wisconsin for another year. So for my senior year of high school, I lived with my best friend and his family. So for two years, I got to go back to Wisconsin, back to the place that I considered to be home. And do you know what I learned in those two years? Even though I returned to literally the same town I grew up in, the place that I moved back to in high school was not the same place I moved away from in junior high. I thought by moving back, it would be like it was before. No matter how hard you try, you can't go back to the past. It was a painful lesson to learn. The past is not a good place to live. 
Being future-focused, however, again, it doesn't mean we forget the past. It means we build on it. We don't live in it. We build on it. And in order to build on the past, well, we need to remember the past. We can't run away from it. And the passage we read in Genesis 17 was actually building on the past. This was not the first time that God had a conversation with Abram about his future. Uh, Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, five chapters before the passage that we read this morning. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God tells Abram, leave your country, your people, your household, and go to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. Abram is 75 years old in Genesis chapter 12. And again, if you count the number of times that you see the word will in the passage, I believe it's at least seven. And then, three chapters later in Genesis 15, God comes to Abram again. This is still two chapters before what we read this morning. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. At, after age 75, God comes to Abram twice and tells him, you will have children. And Abram remembered that. We remember the past. But we also need to learn from the past. Abram and his wife Sarai have no children, and yet they believe that God will give Abram a child. And so they take matters into their own hands, and we read in Genesis 16, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai took his wife, um, or Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. So the son of Abram and Hagar is Ishmael. And the fact that Abram and Sarai decide to hasten the promise of God will cost them in the future. And when God comes in Genesis 17, God makes it clear that the child promised to Abram would also be the child of Sarai. Look, we don't have to hold on to our mistakes, but it's a good idea to learn from them if we're going to be future-focused. We don't live in the past, but by remembering and learning, we build on it. We have said when it comes to our new vision and direction, we are not walking away from our past here at TFRC. We are remembering it. We are learning from it. We are honoring those who have come before us here at TFRC by building upon their sacrifices and accomplishments. And TFRC, we have a rich, rich history to build on. So God is future-focused, and we build on the past, and we are hopeful in the present. Hopeful in the present. Now look, we live in an uncertain time. 
But think about it. Isn't the present always an uncertain time? Can you think of a time when it was present, when in that present it wasn't uncertain? It's the nature of the present (laughs) is uncertainty. Just think about this. If you happen to be alive in the 60s, if, if you happen to be alive in the 60s, was that an uncertain time? Uh, yeah, okay? Because in my history class, notice how I said that. In my history class, I read about assassinations and fight for civil rights and the Vietnam War and cultural upheaval. Um, how about the 70s? Oh, yeah, there was Watergate and... Uh, Inflation, gas shortages, the Iran hostage crisis, the 80s, oh yeah, the Cold War, president was shot, space shuttle exploded, there was this war on drugs in the 90s, our first war with Iraq, uh, a never-ending brouhaha around the Clintons, surge in terrorism, the Y2K scare, a Columbine shooting, the 2000s, starting with the 2000 presidential election, that went really smooth, right? Or how about 9-11? Or how about the second time we were at war in Iraq? Or how about Hurricane Katrina? Or within the last decade, mass shootings, Arab Spring, the rise of ISIS, the toxic nature of politics, conspiracy theories. The present is always uncertain. But going back to the passage in verses 4 and 5, where it says, As for me, This is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. God says to Abram, I know that you don't have any children with Sarai, but I am changing your name to Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. Notice the language God uses. I have made you. Meaning in God's eyes, it's already done. Don't worry about the fact that you're 99. You are the father of many nations. God says to Abraham, no matter what is going on in your present, all that uncertainty, you can be hopeful for the future. And that is a message that we always need. It's a message for all time. Throughout all of history, the circumstances may change, the details may be different, but the reality, it's the same. No matter what is going on in our present We can be hopeful for the future. And look, suffering is inevitable. We are going to suffer. But suffering is temporary. It is not a permanent reality. 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The suffering we go through is leading us to a better place. The process may be and will be painful, but the end goal is worth it. Remember the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. That was horrible suffering. Jesus rose from the dead. 
that was glorious. And the glory of the resurrection outweighs the suffering of the cross. Our future good will outweigh our present suffering. Our futures will be good. And when we suffer, it's hard to believe that. But that is the strength of our faith. We believe that life can still be good even when life punches us in the face. Life will often not go our way. It won't go the way we think it should. But that doesn't mean life stops being good. Romans 8.28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Do you know what that means? That means your best days are ahead of you. Do you know what the resurrection means? It means your best days are ahead of you. Do you know what eternal, eternal salvation means? It means your best days are ahead of you. The gospel is real. The gospel changes everything. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus rose from the dead. Do you know what that means? Your best days are ahead of you. And being hopeful in the present does have a generational focus. I love the way that one generation views the next in our culture. We love to complain about the next generation, don't we? You know, boomers came along, and the previous generations complained. They're spoiled. They don't work hard. They think the world revolves around them. And then Gen Xers came around. And the previous generations complained. They're spoiled. They don't work hard. They think the world revolves around them. And now the millennials have come of age. And what do the boomers and Gen Xers say about the millennials? They're spoiled. They don't know how to work hard. They think the world revolves around them. I love it. It's the same thing every generation. Now, for the record, previous or current generations complain about previous generations. So, you know, it goes both ways. It's all good. But being future-focused looks at the next generation differently. Going back to the passage one last time, verses 6 to 8. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now, I have heard it said, faith is not a sprint, it's a marathon. I disagree. Faith is not a marathon. It's a relay. Today is Reformation Day. Anybody know that? Did anybody know that today is Reformation Day? That is really encouraging. I did not think anybody would raise their hands. Okay? Uh, it's Reformation Day, so celebrate that by eating a bunch of candy. Great idea. Now, um, it is the day where we remember when people like Martin Luther and John Calvin reformed the faith. They looked at the church's understanding of God and the practice of the faith, and they said, we can do better. 
Now, one of the tenets of the Reformation is reformed and ever-reforming according to the Word of God. Reformed and ever-reforming according to the Word of God. In other words, we look at our understanding of God and the practice of our faith, and then we look at the Word of God, and we ask, how can we do better? October also marked the 45th anniversary of TFRC. And TFRC has always been, as, far, as long as I've been a part of it, a future-focused church, always working to do better with the faith that we've been given. And TFRC has a rich history of being future-focused. And we will take that history and build upon it. Faith isn't a marathon, it's a relay. We receive the faith from those who come, came before us. And we will build upon that faith given to us and hand off the faith to the next generation, trusting that God will use them to do better. Now, I want to go back to something I said earlier and just want to pose a question to you. Do you believe that your best days are behind you or in front of you? Do you believe that TFRC's best days are behind us or in front of us? Now, there are a number of things that I could point to that TFRC is doing to be future-focused. Uh, you may have noticed a new building going up, okay? That will be used for future generations of kids and young families. We have started a young adult ministry, a new young adult ministry, where there are multiple opportunities for young adults to plug into TFRC. When we think future-focused, we often think of kids and young adults, which is very true. However, I want us to remember every life stage has a new generation. Every life stage has a new generation coming. There's a new generation of young families coming. There's a new generation of empty nesters coming. There's a new generation of young at heart, which is our chronologically gifted group, coming. Okay? I've shared this with our young at heart group about how there's a new generation of young at heart coming. And one of the things that the leadership team is working on is how to reach that next generation of young at heart life stage. And there are unique challenges in reaching that group. They will not be the same as the current young at heart group. They just won't be. I love the fact that our young at heart leadership team is working on being future focused to reach the next generation of young at heart. The challenges before us are not the same as the challenges behind us. We will suffer in ways that we don't anticipate. And some of the things that worked in the past won't work in the future. And we will have to learn new ways of living out our faith. But make no mistake, God is future focused. He is at work in us and through us. He is working all things out for the good. Our best days are still ahead of us. And that is our confidence for the future. And it's why we will be future-focused. Please pray with me.
And Lord, we are so grateful that you come to us regardless of our past or, because, or regardless of our age. And you put these um, nudgings in us or you work in us. And there are so many things that you do to get us to look forward. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, soften our hearts so that we can hear your calling into our future. Lord, trusting that even in the middle of, of suffering and uncertainty, that our futures will be good. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.